welcome to episode 26 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. As always, I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The USPHL is the nation's largest amateur ice hockey league and the only league to span the continental United States and parts of Canada. The USPHL will field approximately 550 teams in 2020-2021 season, representing over 100 organizations comprised of 11,000 players spanning the ages of 6 through 20. Overall, across all its divisions, the USPHL has more than 1,200 alumni playing college hockey in 2019-20 and more than 250 playing pro hockey, including the NHL. Last week, we had the privilege of sitting down with the head coach of the Bowling Green Falcons, as Ty Eigner was our guest. Coach Eigner talked to us about his coming up in the game in Rosemont, Minnesota, before coming to Bowling Green as a student athlete. Now, after nine years as an assistant, he's entering his second season at the helm. I found it really, really interesting, Jay, uh, when he was talking about how he went back, coached high school, understood the game, understood how to coach, and then had the unbelievable opportunity to go back to his alma mater and coach uh, at Bowling Green. Just just a great story. Yeah, and, and coupled with the fact that he got in with, with a, a good coach, he had a good coach when he played in Jerry York. He came back with a good coach in Chris Bergeron. And when uh, Coach Bergeron left to uh, go to his next venture at Miami, uh, Coach Agner was able to step right in. And and the thing that, that struck me the most from Coach Agner was that he kept saying the right people, the right people, whether it was when he went back to Minnesota and began his coaching, he was surrounded by the right people. When he came back to Bowling Green as a coach, surrounded by the right people. When he played at Bowling Green, surrounded by the right people. He recruits the right people. You're you're bringing in people. You're making people better. That's been kind of the constant over all the coaches that we've ever talked to on this is that you want the right people. You want to make people better. The better people make better players. Seems like a no-brainer but it must be something special if all these coaches are talking about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, I also found it interesting and, uh, and I cannot, I don't feel bad for coach, but takes his, takes his alma mater second season COVID hits. And he spoke very candidly about how every day his players are like coach, what does this week look like? And if, and I guess my point bringing this up is, you know, routine is huge. I don't care what level you're at. Mm. If you're at, the high school, the junior, the college, the pro routine is huge. And nobody can really get into a routine right now at no one's fault. I mean, it's not anyone's fault, but you can't get into a routine, even in professionals, not just sports, but like professional lives, like teachers, wh- whoever, Yeah, they can't get in a routine and that's hard. And, and a guy like coach, you know, he wants to get them in a routine. He's, he's looked at it as, Hey, how do I get coach? What do I do? How do I get in this routine? And when you don't have answers, as a coach, Jay, you and I know this, and when you don't have answers for your student-athletes, that's hard, man. That's real hard. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at athletes, they're creatures of habit, right? And 
So every day is, is laid out for them. So they know what they have to do. And, and it, you take it as an athlete, take it as life. I mean, I know what I'm doing tomorrow morning. I know full well what I'm doing tomorrow morning. Two weeks ago, not so sure. This week, I'm trying to get <laughs> well, back. You knew what you were doing two weeks ago. You heard yeah. sitting in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, I was laying here watching TV. But, um, you know, the fact that in the in the athletic field, what we talk about, uh, there is such a routine, and and you could see and you could hear <clears throat> in 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 Coach Eigner that that was bothering him too. You know, he likes to be prepared, and and he likes to give the information to his players. So they know what their routine will look like. And, and nobody was able to do that. Not even coach. Like he said, the the one day uh, with the Mac coming back and playing football, their workout times were going to change. And he still, at the time we were taping, he still didn't know that answer to forward on. So like you said, it's no one's fault, but it's an uncomfortable situation and everybody's just trying to make the best of it. And yes, Coach was very candid in in the the process he was going through to try to find some sort of normalcy in this. Yeah, yeah, he was. Like, I think he made the mention. He was like, "Well, it's seven o'clock on a Sunday night, and I'm still trying to get answers when we can lift tomorrow morning." Yes, I mean that's 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 hard, man. That's hard. Well, this week, Jay, we're putting many miles on the bus here. We're packed and loaded. We are heading to Erie, Pennsylvania, where we'll meet up with an analyst for the NHL Network, the 11 year NHL veteran, Cleveland native, and Stanley Cup veteran. Mike Rupp joins us. Mike will talk to us about his career in hockey, the real his real thoughts that went through his head in 2003, and how his transition into TV has been for him post days post playing days. Then we'll head to the state capital, Columbus, Ohio, where we will meet up with analysts from Fox Sports Ohio, Blue Jackets Live, Jean Luc Grandpierre. After a 16 year pro career spanning the NHL in Europe, Jean Luc came home to Ohio and is heading into his second season with the Blue Jackets live. From breakdown, analysis, and everything TV from a player's perspective, two fun guests with two great stories this week. We look forward to talking to these two gentlemen today, but but before we do so, what's good with the boys? How's everything going, Danny? Lev, what's new? I know, Lev, you're out of the, the, the quarantine now, right? Yeah, I got freed. I got freed from the COVID last week. You got freed from the COVID? <clears throat> yeah, I got freed. And I will tell you that I ran into my neighbor uh, over the weekend and uh, my neighbor and I don't really see eye to eye on much. And uh, so he was asking, I don't mean interrupt, but is this the neighbor that like shows up just in your, remember the guy like show. So yeah, the the backstory to that is I I just moved into the house and uh, Sully, you and I were were traveling somewhere that that day uh, shortly after I moved in. And I was kind of giving you the run of the house. And then I was, we were, you know, it was, it was chilly. It was, I think it was like November, December when we moved in. And I was showing you the backyard from inside the house. So the house is shut, locked tight. So we leave the house, we go through the garage and you're walking out asking me a question. And my neighbor comes through the backyard and is just standing there. And yep. now mind you, that'd be one thing. The guy scared but the hell out of me, dude. The, the fact, well, first of all, you cocked back the swing, which was absolutely hysterical. Like, like, I swear to God, the guy scared yeah. the hell out of me. And because I, I mean, you have, a, you have a pretty big yard. Yeah. I'm like, where did this guy creep up from? Well, he was wearing yellow rain boots, yeah. slacks, and a purple sweater. It's not every day you get a neighbor creeping through your backyard, let alone like he just showed up, right? So he did a couple other shifty things that I didn't really care for anyways, especially when we first moved in. So I see my neighbor 
And he's like, hey, are you back to work? And I'm like, well, there's no way he could possibly know. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, that's great. I have some rooms I need worked on. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm easily like a month and a half out. I said, because I've been off for two weeks. And he says, oh, why were you off for two weeks? I said, I had the COVID. My man backpedaled about 50 steps away from me. <laughs> and, and to be honest with you, all I thought, I think I told you this yesterday. All I thought was, that's all it took to keep him away from me? <laughs> Guess what, folks? I got the COVID for the whole year. We're yeah, going yeah. to keep him at longer than an arm's distance. But needless to say, I'm freed from the COVID. Uh, back into society. It feels great. It feels great to get out of my basement, even though that's where I'm recording from today. And uh, well, I mean, hell, I made it a home. I might as well continue to stay down here. But uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's different. It's all different. You you notice a lot of things uh, in society that may or not be, uh, may or may not be keeping up with the norms and the regulations, but it is what it is. People are going to do what they're going to do. And uh, I'm just happy that I can be around people again. But, you know, you know, here, here's a problem I have. You, you just said it. You said, you know, it, it, it's, you know, we talked about like you almost like have a scarlet letter, right? You know, right. you right. get the COVID, you almost have a scarlet letter. I was at my youngest daughter's basketball game today and and uh, his co- or her coach comes up. Great guy. Great guy. Comes up to my oldest one and goes, hey, here you got COVID. It's, it's like, <laughs> hey, here, you know, <laughs> you're like you won the lottery. Yay. You know, and. And literally people started to look around like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, here's part of the problem that I have with like society, right? Okay. What what is what what is right and what is wrong? Well, it's it's what you think is right or wrong. It's what you think is is good or bad. Right. I don't care what other people think. Like it if if people make decisions in their life, like for instance, this whole COVID thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody who gets contracted with COVID is gonna stay home. But the people that do are doing the right thing. So not, people should not be judged by a handful of people. Well, I, I tell you this, that when I got it, the, the enormous feeling of fear that came over me, not because I had it, not because I, I was, the, the docs called and said, Hey, <laughs> good news guy. You tested positive. I'm like, Oh shit. Um, was that I was afraid that I was getting lax and I might've given it to somebody else that could have had something severe come of it. Right. I, mean, I knew I'd be fine. I mean, crossed fingers and, and I was thankful that I knew I'd be fine, but somebody's parents might be older and not be of the best of health. That was my only concern. Right. right my only right. concern to this day is still that not me contracting it, not my family contracting it because we're all of decent health, but that, someone's parents could get it. Somebody that could be really seriously affected because I was fortunate. I got it. Your daughter had it. We're, we're both of, you know, she's a hell of a lot better at uh, health than I am, but we, we were going to be okay. But what if somebody else got it because we were negligent? So when I go out and I see people without a mask or it's pulled down or like, look, like I've told you a million times, I don't care if you think it's right. I don't care if you think it's real. It doesn't matter. But think about how you affect other people day to day. No, that, I, I, that I'm, was I'm, the problem I had. Right. I'm with you hundred percent. I think one of the issues that I have is, is when we talk about society, right? Like what huh. society dictates a lot of things in this world. Mm-hmm. Why does it society get to dictate that? Who says what's right and what's wrong? Social media is all about that. 
I understand. So and that's so it's just asinine. Like I, like the, the other asinine thing, and, and I was thinking of this this morning, was I'm looking through Instagram, and oh, were you on the the World Wide Web? Yeah, I was on on the interweb. And the interweb. I was on the instant <laughs> Instagram. The Instagram. And you're on the Insta face. Oh, face space, and what did you one time you called it face space and Snapgram or something yeah, like that? The, yeah. Anyway, sometimes you go on the Snapgram. I was on one of those things and I'm looking at something and, and I click on this story, whatever. And I heard a person say that other social media influencers. Okay. I got a problem with that terminology. What are you influencing? <laughs> what, what is it that you, I mean, you look at, you know, you know, you look at from one side where you have the athletic side of things where you got fitness people, three quarters of them are millionaires. So of course you got all day to go to a gym, right? Show me the person that's working three jobs and still is banging out, you know, 10 reps on a squat rack. Show me that person. That's yeah. going to influence somebody real. Not this BS of millionaires that are, are sitting at home. And I mean, all right, look, God bless them. They're doing their thing. That's the day and age we live in. That's, that's what we got going on. I get all that. But what are you influencing? I, 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 these people you. are jackasses. Well, it's like I us. Have... Look, it's like us. We're not influencing a damn thing. We're having a good time. We're trying to spread good words. That's it. We're not claiming to be influencing anything. No, I'm with you. I just have a whole, like, I just have a personal issue with, well, this is what society says. This is what society, if I do this, people in society are going to think bad of me. Are you kidding me? That's easy. Cause that's the easy way. Right. That's no, easy. I'm with it's, you. it's easy to follow along with that. You I'm know, with you. Society says that that this is nothing. Yet 210 plus million people die. Is it nothing? 210 210,000. I'm sorry, I said 210 million. 210,000. Fake news. <laughs> yeah. But but I mean look at the whole thing. Look at even that statement right there. Fake news. You can't believe half the stuff you watch on TV. You can't believe half the stuff you read. And it's always been that way. Yeah. However, now it's to the point where Who's telling the truth? No, I'm with you. I'm and that's you. that drives me bananas. You know, watching that those two people stand behind podiums and argue back and forth, whatever they call that. It, it looked like a Chinese fire drill. No disrespect. But it was just a, a complete cluster F, dude. I'm like going, first of all, you're all yelling at each other. And and those are the people we're supposed to follow. What are we talking about? Right. Talk about practice. Danny, what's up with you? <laughs> Nothing. Um we hit up the. We went to the zoo today for a little trick or treat. The zoo. I, it think froze up again on you. God. Uh, here we go. Oh, here, oh, we go. Oh, here we go. You went to the zoo again today. We, we went to the zoo for trick or treat. Oh, they call that boo at the zoo. The boo at the hey, zoo. Hey, hey, trick or treat. Oh, damn it! Didn't work. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and an air horn. Here we go. <laughs> Loving it. Hey, hey, what's up, baby? Come on, man. Hey, man, I gotta cut that out. You can't swear like that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what this thing's why this thing's not working. Whatever. Go ahead, Dan. I mean, that's pretty much it. Nothing. Uh, what did you? What did? What did the little guy dress up as? He was a dinosaur. Oh, nice. Okay. So a dinosaur uh, at the zoo. Appropriate. Yeah, and I mean, I have a dinosaur exhibit now. Okay. Um, they had a. They made us go through this thing and watch like a half hour show, which I'm sorry, Cleveland Metro Park Zoo. 
you put kids age two to football all the way up to 10 to sit still for a half hour to watch a show. What was the show about? It was about dinosaurs, but yeah, that's, no, that's those true. kids yeah. weren't sitting there and they're like, Oh, you make sure you social distance and there's kids running everywhere. Mine was laying on the concrete crying because it was too loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but we went through it. and, uh, we got some good candy and he, he doesn't know what candy is yet. So mom and dad got some good candy. Well, there you got go. some candy today. There you go. What's your favorite, Danny? It's that time of the year. What's your favorite candy? Um, I, I like the Reese's. Just a like the traditional Reese's, Reese's cup. Reese's, Reese's cup. Okay. Do you freeze them? Yes. There you go. It's yeah, Pope yeah, Catholic. I love, I love, what's that? So does Pope, Pope Catholic? Catholic? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love I love freezing the uh, the Reese's cups. Remember, I also like freezing the Mallow cup. Oh, you yeah. guys ever had those? Yes. Yeah, yeah, those are good too. Those are good. Well, I, so, I have to. I yeah, have to. What, what happened with yeah, your week? What's going on? So, you know, just a typical work week. Uh, since the COVID volleyball team, my daughter's COVID volleyball team's back, they're going to try to jam 19 games into freaking 14 days. So, we, we, <laughs> we did we did a lot of volleyball in the past week. Um, and uh, today, uh, as we, we normally do tape on Sundays, today was. Um, a fall teardown. So I had to tear down all the grass and all that high grass and all that stuff. And I tore down the, uh, I had my last yield. I'm still growing peppers in October. This is, if, 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 if 2020 can't be diagrammed or, or described anything more crazier then I'm still getting tomatoes in October, it's insane. Nice. Right. So, so yesterday Jay and I go out to a, a local rink, um, and we're sitting at the, at the rink. <laughs> and this guy out of nowhere goes, Hey Tim, how's the garlic going? Ah. <laughs> and I turn around and I'm like, Oh, you know, it's going good. He's like, ah, I listen to the episodes all the time. You know, I, I do the garlic too. So I would give out a shout out uh, to Chris Walters. Uh, his sons play for Strongsville youth organization. Chris and I had a great conversation about uh, uh, gardening and he, he gets into the canning of the pickles and the sauce and all that stuff. I've not ventured down that way yet, but he's doing it. He's doing all that. Uh, Chris said he put his garlic in yesterday. I'm a day. I'm a day behind him. I put it in today. So we'll see. We'll, he, come. He, he also tills over his uh, garden at the end of the season too. Yeah, he, he does till it over. Um, I did not do that today. I didn't, unfortunately I just didn't have the time to do it. So I just I think, pulled it all up. Yeah. And then I, I just planted the garlic. I think we were just happy. Somebody listened. Yeah, that, Chris. That was hey, the, that was the first exciting thing that we hey, heard. Chris, hey, somebody listen to it. Chris, if you're listening to this episode, I think you're one of one that have let listens to our, our podcast. Nah, I'm just joking, just joking. Anyway, it was a great conversation with Chris. Uh it was it was kind of it was fun to talk about hockey and, and the show with him, but also some uh other stuff as well. So that's about it, man. We got a busy week this week with uh um you know, we're only about two and a half weeks before uh high school hockey starts, so uh, we're locked and loaded, getting ready to go there. Yeah, we're going to have some uh, interesting guests coming up, a little bit of some high school hockey previews, some uh, former coaches from the area as guests, and uh, still planning that. Uh, still planning out our uh, our guest list, and and we'll be reaching out to some that that have made an impact and have have since retired from active coaching, and it, it should be exciting. Absolutely. 
Well, hey, Jay, the leaves are changing. And when it gets cool like this, there's nothing better than a little fire at night. Let's stoke the fire and get in the digest and see what's making news in the world of hockey today. There is no better way to get your company's message across to the hockey fans in and around the state of Ohio than advertising on Ohio Hockey Digest and the on-air podcast. You can connect your company or product with customers and support hockey in Ohio at the same time. Contact Scott Harrington today at 216-548-2345 or scott at ohiohockeydigest.com. In addition to a need for writers, the Digest is looking for an intern to help with pre-production of the on-air podcast, including research on guests and some writing for the show. These are outstanding opportunities for a student with an interest in sports journalism or broadcasting. Email scott at ohiohockeydigest.com to show us you are interested. The 2020 NHL entry draft took place virtually October 6th and 7th. Defenseman Jamie Drysdale of the Erie Otters was the sixth overall pick in the 2020 NHL entry draft by the Anaheim Ducks. Drysdale's selection kicked off a productive draft for players in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area. Trevor Kuntar went undrafted last year, but after lighting the lamp 28 times in 44 games for the Youngstown Phantoms, went late in the third round for the Boston Bruins. Sylvania native Mitch Miller, a freshman at the University of North Dakota, was selected by the Arizona Coyotes, and then, eight picks later, the St. Louis Blues nabbed Perrysburg Tanners Dixon, who played for Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in the Ontario Hockey League. Chad Yetman was passed over in both the 2018 and 2019 drafts, but put himself back on the radar by scoring 43 goals in 61 games for the Otters and was chosen by the Chicago Blackhawks. Riley Duran will play for the Phantoms this year before heading to Providence College. Boston picked Duran a forward late in the sixth round. And two future Ohio State Buckeyes heard their names called. Defenseman Mason Lorai was a second-round selection, 58th overall, of the Bruins, while goaltender Jacob Dobes was a fifth-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens. Both prospects will play another season of junior hockey in the USHL before heading to Columbus. The Columbus Blue Jackets went way off the board with their first-round pick, 21st overall, taking 19-year-old Russian forward Yegar Chichenkov, who was passed over in the draft last year and was not on a single public draft board this year. Hours before the draft, Columbus traded winger Josh Anderson, a key member of the Cleveland Monsters 2016 Calder Cup championship team, to the Montreal Canadiens for forward Max Domi. Domi struggled for two years in Montreal, but put up 72 points for Arizona in 2017 and 18 and should fit well as the number two center for the Blue Jackets. On a, on a side note, uh, I was watching part of the draft when Columbus chose and they took the, the Russian kid and uh, the guys that were on the show, they, they scoured through their notes and he wasn't even in the top 100 possible or at really? least per the draft list. Yeah. So that must tell you, I mean, that must tell you, these guys are good, man. These, these scouts they, are good. They know there's, there's a reason Yarmo Kakalainen chose him. What that is, don't know. But, you know, they teams aren't dumb. They do their work. Sometimes yeah. it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But to, to make that high of a draft selection on somebody that wasn't even on the central scouting list, or at least the draft possible list, at least for the alleged experts, they, they got to know something. 
Well, after the draft, it was right into free agent frenzy on Friday, October 9th. Two of the biggest free agent fish, St. Louis Blues defenseman Alex Petrangelo and Arizona Coyotes forward Taylor Hall remained unsigned as of this taping. The Blue Jackets made a nice pickup, signing 37-year-old Miko Koivu for $1.5 million. Koivu, Koivu will slot nicely as their number three center behind Pierre-Luc Dubois and Max Domi. New Albany, Ohio's Kiefer Sherwood signed with the Colorado Avalanche on Friday. Sherwood has played 60 games in the NHL with the Anaheim Ducks, and if he doesn't crack the lineup in Denver, Denver could find himself as a teammate of Rocky Rivers' Charlie Girard with the Colorado Eagles in the American League. Sherwood is a great example of the development path available for hockey players right here in Ohio, playing for the Cleveland Barons, AAA Blue Jackets, Youngstown Phantoms, and Miami University before turning pro. Big Ten Hockey announced plans for a 24-game conference schedule that begins November 13th and includes four home games against Arizona State for all seven Big Ten teams. The league tournament will be a single elimination format at a to-be-determined location and is scheduled for March 18th to the 20th. Arizona State is an independent program and faced a major scheduling crisis with most colleges going to shortened league-only schedules. The 28 games they will play against Big Ten competition will allow them to A, have a season, and B, qualify for the NCAA tournament, even though they will not participate in the Big Ten postseason. The Big Ten hockey schedule will be announced at a later date. I wonder if those are home and homes. If they are, the Big Ten players are loving it. It's like, we get to go to Arizona. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's, what what they say it was November 13th or something? This will start? So you know the weather here. It can be dicey. And they look on their schedule and see Arizona State. At Arizona State. That'd be phenomenal. Yeah, right. 35 players took to the ice at the Menor Civic Arena Saturday night for a scrimmage at the Menor Icebreakers Free Agent Camp. The Icebreakers are preparing for their third season in the Federal Prospects Hockey League, despite the fact that the season will begin best in December. General Manager Nick Russo recently told the News Herald that there was a 50-50 chance of the Federal League having a season in 2020 and 2021. But head coach Sebastian Ragnew is proceeding as if the puck will drop sometime in December. I think we're going to take about four guys from this um, and a goalie or two, so I can't give any names yet, but we definitely have a couple guys that we're talking to and um, that will probably uh, end up seeing uh, November here, so excited for that. Icebreakers veteran Isaiah Crawford was happy to get back on the ice after a long layoff. Seemed a little slow at the beginning, but then it started to pick up, and you can tell that you know the rust was starting to wear off a little bit. So it'll uh, should be very interesting to see how the games play out tonight and uh, tomorrow. Avon native Alex Mitsianis is new to the team, but under a standard contract already. So he officiated the scrimmage. He is happy to be back in Northeast Ohio after playing professionally in Sweden for the last three years. I spent the last three years playing pro in Sweden, and now I'm home playing for the Menor Icebreakers and excited to get things started here. Other Ohioans participating in the camp include Blake Nada, Benedictine High School, Cleveland Junior Jacks, Dom Horvath, Toledo St. John's High School. Horvath bounced around the league a little bit last year playing for four different teams, so he's happy to be with the Icebreakers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would rather rather be in one place than, uh, you know, three or four different cities. So, yeah, it's nice to 
finally find a home and it's close to home as well. So it's uh, really nice. Ragnew said there were a few new faces that made an impression and earned the opportunity to take the next step. Yeah, tomorrow I'll meet. Um, I'll post a list after our last skate of guys that I want to talk to upstairs and uh, basically give them the scoop on, you know, you're getting invited out to main camp. It doesn't guarantee anything except that you're coming back in uh, two months here. Um, you know, besides that, I, I think uh, December 1st is what we're looking at. And, you know, hopefully these guys can make it in and everything clears up so we can get started. The Icebreakers will put season tickets on sale to the general public on October 17th. Go to www.mentoricebreakers.com for more information. In a related story, five of the 10 teams in the Southern Professional Hockey League, one notch above the Federal League, announced they are sitting out the season with hopes to start back in the 21-22 season. The SPHL plans to go forward with five teams each playing a 42-game regular season schedule. That could result in a lot of talent being pushed out of the Federal League and raising the level of play. That does, I mean, it, it could push guys down, but then these guys that are trying to make the team now, they gone. Possible. I mean, the SPHL, five teams playing 42 games. <laughs> dang, dang. You think <clears throat> there's going to be some uh, some punches thrown in some of those games? Guys going to get uh, a little irritated with each other? Well, I think there's probably going to be a lot of hard hockey being played because they want to earn their, keep their spot. Right. No, absolutely. Five. I mean, look at all these other those other guys that don't have a team. So you got what twenty five? You got one hundred twenty five guys that don't have a team now. I mean, and those guys could get picked up by the teams that are playing, and and that could make for some exciting hockey. Absolutely. Wheels all rolling on the ninety to Erie, Pennsylvania. Time to get on air with member of the NHL Network, Cleveland native and Stanley Cup champion Mike Rupp. Our first guest is a native of Cleveland, Ohio, a 10th overall selection by the Windsor Spitfire of the OHL in 1997. Drafted 76 overall by the New Jersey Devils in the 2000 NHL draft. Played his first NHL game January 13th, 2003 for the Devils against the Florida Panthers. His 23rd birthday, he celebrated by scoring two goals. Scored his first NHL Stanley Cup playoff goal June 29th of 2003. The only player in NHL history to score his first playoff goal and that goal being the Stanley Cup goal. He played 11 years in the NHL for the New Jersey Devils, Phoenix Coyotes, Pittsburgh Penguins, Columbus Blue Jackets, New York Rangers, and the Minnesota Wild. A 2015 Cleveland Sports Hall of Fame inductee, a 2003 Stanley Cup champ. Current, currently an analyst for the NHL Network and a Honey Hut Ice Cream's most famous customer. Please welcome on air Mike Rupp. Welcome, Mike. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for the intro there. And um glad to uh glad to be on here. I've been uh following you guys for a little bit now and love the work you guys are doing. And it's uh you know it's great. I'm a big, you know, obviously uh, from the Buckeye State. So, you know, I like seeing hockey growing and developing there, and it certainly has over the years. So, Mike, you scored some really big goals and some memorable goals in your in in the game of hockey and in some big games. But let's start off telling the listeners about how you got started in the game of hockey. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I grew up in Brunswick. Um, you know, it was I didn't my neighbor two doors down played hockey. And um, I remember he was playing on his driveway and I played, you know, I tried I tried just like any kid pretty much just tried other sports um, or any sport as, as a kid. So I would try. I played soccer, baseball. 
um, played basketball a little bit later on, but when I was, I'd say about six, um, you know, he was, he was an older kid. So I always wanted to play with him outside and he played hockey in his driveway. So we'd have the street hockey shooting, shooting tennis balls against his garage. So I started kind of just playing along with him there. And then I asked my mom and dad to sign me up for hockey. And, you know, I obviously had to learn to skate first. So I, I think I did that. Um, I think I may, I mean, I started playing hockey around six. So I would assume around five, I probably took some learn to skate lessons and, um, and did some of that. So, yeah, I just started playing. And to be honest with you, I just, I, I thought it was something, you know, just as a kid, you want to find something that is different and something that you're good at. Um, it was easy for me to be the best at hockey because I was the only kid in my school that played it. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't have, I it was like, you know, I, I, I like playing other sports. I like playing basketball and baseball, you know, there's better kids than me. So I played hockey and I felt like, all right, well, like I'm really good. You know why? Cause no one else plays. And uh, <laughs> so I was the only kid in my elementary school in Brunswick and pretty much I would say at that time in Brunswick that played. So um, I, I started playing in the, at the time it was the Parma Heights wings program. And uh, yeah, I just started, just started loving it and playing it. And I played other sports as well. Um, and then when I got to become high school age, I went to St. Ed's and, and knew about the, you know, kind of the rich history and with their hockey teams at the high school level and, and, and played that my freshman and sophomore year. And then, um, yeah, then it kind of got to the point. Bob Whitten was, was obviously the coach at the time and he was really good gauge for me because it's a guy that played in the WHA and he, he pretty much told me that if I wanted to, you know, pursue the dream I wanted, I needed to, to move on. And, you know, I, I respect the, the heck out of them for that because you know there's some coaches that just care about their team being the best they can be so um he you know kind of pushed me along and i went and tried out for the junior barons and uh, played for the junior barons the north american hockey league um you know i at that same time simultaneously that's when i started kind of arriving on usa hockey's um radar as far as in the mid-am we'd have our mid-am um, teams that went up to Minnesota and we participated in the festivals. And um, I always seemed to do pretty well with the kids in other areas. And that was an eye opener for me is that you now I, I felt like I was kind of the big fish in a small pond in, in Cleveland. And um, now I started seeing kids from, from Minnesota and Michigan and, and from Massachusetts. And they let me know that I had some work to do. So, um, you know, anyways, I, I played for the Barons for about half a season and I really missed playing high school hockey again. So, I ended up kind of quitting the Barons halfway through the season, went back my junior year to play at St. Ed's. And uh, that was a tough decision. I had a lot of people that were telling me that that could potentially hurt me and where I want to go. And, um, but it ended up working out and then I got drafted in the OHL, but um, you know, I stuck around in Cleveland played just pretty much on two teams. I played Parma Heights and St. Ed's and uh, you know, I'm a big fan with just sticking with one place and kind of working through things. Well, Mike, you said that you went to St. Edward High School and, and you played for Mr. Whitten and, and for Coach Whitten. How influential was he in your career and the path you ended up taking? Yeah, he was huge. He was the first, like, uh, well, I mean, I had some disciplinarian coaches. Um, <laughs> did you? you know, I, did, I had did you some know? like that, but maybe not so much with, like, Bob at the time. So, um, you know, I was a freshman on varsity, so it was a real eye-opener for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, he just like it's St. Ed's in general, it kind of teaches you to be a young man and you got responsibility. And, 
you know, there's ramifications and, and things that happen in every decision you make and you got to own those. And if I wanted to put the work in, then, then that's what needed to happen. It wasn't going to just happen on its own. So he was great in that aspect. And then, you know, once, you know, once I got to a certain place, he was very instrumental. I mean, I still remember one of my favorite stories was when I was playing and when I came back uh, my junior year and started playing, I remember at the, you know, at the time it was Gundarina and they had a high school kind of showcase that would go off. Um, it wasn't a game that we played in. I think we just did like a shootout. It was us and St. Ignatius did a shootout. I think it was in intermissions of like a lumberjack game. And, um, you know, I remember, uh, <laughs> You know, in his in his uh, coming in his uh, career, Bob uh, ended up becoming friends with Bobby Orr, and Bobby Orr came into Cleveland to because he had a he owned the you know the agency that at the time was Wolf Associates, and now I think it's called the Orr Group. And uh, he was in the sports agent business, and he came into Cleveland and watched me at, at the high school hockey level and saw me in a. Uh, you know, a high school hockey rink. Um, I don't remember which rink it was in Cleveland and then saw me, um, you know, do the shootout at, at uh, Gundarina at the time. So it was for me like, oh my gosh, this is Bobby Orr. And uh, from then on, I kind of just took their guidance on where to go. Nice. So you started your junior career here in Cleveland uh, with the Barons and the North American Hockey League, as you mentioned. Was your idea always to go to the OHL or did you think about the NCAA route as well? <laughs> no, I was, I was going um, to Michigan state and I met with Ron Mason. Um, you know, I, I, I visited a, a couple schools and I loved Michigan state and I wanted to go to Michigan state. And, you know, I, I think the one big thing that I needed to learn, you know, one of the big things, and I know a lot of guys talk about it too, having size on your, on your side is obviously a, a very strong thing to have, but it also teaches you a false way of reading the game of hockey because you rely on your size and you get away with things you shouldn't get away with at a young age. So, you know, there was, there was um, things that I could do and, and I didn't have to play kind of an aggressive mean game because, you know, I had that in me, but I was so much bigger than everybody else. So I can just hold everybody else off of me. So, I wanted to go and, and play professional hockey and I had to kind of learn to, to be a little more demonstrative in, in using my size. And so I remember I gave a, I had a verbal agreement at Michigan state and then the OHL, you have to opt into the OHL draft. And I missed that opt-in date and I had to call the league commissioner. And um, I just kind of got convinced that at that time that the OHL was going to, I visited some OHL teams as well. And, and that that was a better route to teach me, kind of give me a fast, course or crash course i should i should say on playing physical and that's what the game was at the time so i went to the ohl and um you know it obviously worked out and it was great i had great experiences there um if i do it all again i would have i would have probably chose college to be honest with you um i i think that college hockey was i was a late bloomer and you know i was always a top point getter when i was um you know, in the U S program. And if I went to college, I would have had less games, more practices would have been able to develop at a, a pace that was probably better for me. And when I went to the OHL, you just got thrown into it. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm fighting all the time and I'm trying to 
play physical and this is all new to me. And so I had to learn that part of my game, which, which certainly helped me, but there was parts of the skill game that I didn't really develop. I felt as a, you know, 17 uh, or 16, 17 year old, because I was, you know, I was trying to tread water and in, in, in the other avenues. So, um, you know, yeah, I was, I was going to go to college. Uh, the only other thing that was, you know, hindsight being 2020 1980 birth years, which, which I am was the first year of the U S developmental program and up in Ann Arbor. And it was a tough sell for us U S born guys because we're the Guinea pigs and we're being told, wait, we're not in a league. We don't play in a league. We play basically <laughs> exhibition games all year. And it, it was kind of something tough because you know, it's a pivotal year. Like you're, you're two years removed from your draft year. So myself, David Legwand, um, there's a few others that were, you know, highly touted us, you know, USA hockey players that went the major junior route instead. Um, it would have worked out if I would have gone and done that. That program is awesome. And it's, yeah. a, it's a leading candidate now in the NHL draft and uh, up there at the U.S. developmental team. So you are drafted by Windsor. You end up in Erie. How did how did that ta- or how did that come about, if you will? And what does the town of Erie and the organization mean to you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I got drafted in Windsor, we were projected as, you know, they had, when I went in there, they had, I think, on that team, we had 11 drafted players, I think, which is a lot. And so we were kind of had some projections as being a Memorial Cup favorite going into the, the season. And we won about three games of our first 18. And uh, so they just blew up, blew up the team, you know, traded away everybody. And it worked out good for me because, you know, growing up, obviously in Northeast Ohio, Erie, Pennsylvania is only 90 miles away. So I got traded to Erie my rookie year and I played uh, two and a half years in Erie and it was awesome. And it was, it was fantastic. I, I loved it. And I, you know, I still live in Erie right now. And um, you know, it was, it was great to me. Um, the, the thing that I think was uh, that is really unique about Erie as well, maybe not so much for me because I wasn't, to that scale but um you know when you have for example like you know i got drafted the first time in 1998 and i got drafted in the first round by the islanders and when you're playing in canadian markets and or even in some of these smaller towns in in ontario there's a lot more pressure and i know for an example i know Connor mcdavid's um, situation really well from being in, in erie here and this guy literally went to school. No one knew who he was. He was, I mean, he was the next phenom and he did, no one knew. I had people come up to me and say, uh, who's this Cal David guy that we're supposed to see? I'm like, Oh, <laughs> Connor McDavid. Yeah. You might want to check him out because he's not going to be here too long. And, uh, you're going to be hearing about him for a long time. So it was eerie provides a really nice spot to just focus on playing and being a teenager as well and not have that pressure of, um, you know, some of these other markets and in, in Ontario do. Are you still involved with the Otters? Um, I was doing, uh, not, not the OHL team. I mean, I have the, the relationships there. I mean, I, I'll, I'll talk to them. Sometimes they have me come in and speak to the team and, um, you know, with my schedule with NHL network and some of the other stuff, I'm kind of, kind of busy um and don't have a ton of time to do that but uh we've started a a junior otters program about four years ago and so for the first three years we were just trying to develop uh 
hockey in this area because you know it there's a lot of there's a strong hockey love in this community and a lot of times these kids get to the end of the road the the the, the higher end kids have to go play somewhere else and move away from home when they're 12 and there's not a ton of kids but you just want to kind of put a program together to keep everybody at home and, and kids <laughs> parents can keep their kids at home and not have to send them off to, you know, Pittsburgh or to Cleveland or Michigan is, you know, not even teenagers yet. So, uh, you know, I, I, so yeah, I, I still talk to, you know, it's different ownership now, but they're awesome. And, um, you know, I know the, the head coach, uh, Chris Hartsburg real well of the OHL team. I played with him and, um, had his dad as a coach, um, before as well. And, uh, so yeah, good relationship with the Otters. So you, you had stated that, you know, you, you were originally drafted by the Islanders in 98 and you, you had gone through a trade in your rookie year in the OHL. Was that the, the Islanders situation? Was that your real first taste of the business side of the, of the national hockey league? Yeah, it was, it was, um, you know, so for, for the people listening that don't know when you get drafted, you have a two, you have two years. I, I don't know that the dates have changed, but what it usually was is, you know, the draft was the draft was in June, late June. And you had till June, two years later. So I got drafted in June of 98. So I had till June one of 2000 to sign with the Islanders. And if I did not sign, then I would go back in the draft, which it has been done. It's not really an ideal situation because you know, if you're going back in the draft as a 20 year old and you're getting drafted a second time with 18 year olds, you're not going to go as high as you would go as an 18 year old. I mean, uh, so I, I knew that that was a risk, but I also knew that I was drafted on, you know, like I said, I was a, a late bloomer and I was drafted on potential. And so I kind of knew that I was going to be a late signing. They wanted to see the full two years to see what I was, was as a player. And so what ended up happening is, you know, I had that Bobby Orr's group as agents and I got an offer, uh, the day before, the day before, um, you know, the deadline and I don't know, it was, it was advised that it was not acceptable because they drafted me ninth overall. And, um, you know, yeah, of course it's a side of the business that you, that you see that you were never pervy to before. I didn't know anything about this side. I wanted to play hockey. I wanted a chance. This is my opportunity to, to live my dream. And, but then there's other things that come into play where, you know, when you're drafted in the position that they drafted me, there's, there's a certain threshold that those guys get as far as signing. And I wasn't getting that. So uh, we, we tried to play a little, I had a little pushback with Mike Milbury was GM at the time of the Islanders. And my agent said, you know, what? if, if that's all you're willing to, to offer Mike, then just be prepared to let your first round pick go back to the draft. And Milbury hung up on him and uh, didn't accept his phone calls for the next eight hours. And uh, we hit the deadline. And so <laughs> Milbury took with, off his uh, shoe Milbury and threw it at the phone. What's <laughs> Milbury, that? Milbury took off his shoe and threw it at the phone. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So I worked with Mike at NBC a couple of times and, uh, you know, you can laugh about it now. Um, but you know what it was, honestly, it was probably the better, it, it was probably better for me because again, I needed more time and the Islanders were a team that we we know and haven't really been good. And they, to the last two years, but it's really like some of the first times they've been good since for a very long time. 
and yep. a couple decades. Probably and, the mid eighties, uh, probably the mid eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When they're winning all their cups. So, yep. right. Um, you know, that was an organization that was struggling and I probably would have been rushed along a little bit and I needed time to, you know, I got drafted by the devils in 2000 in the third round. And that's a team that was known for taking their time with their prospects and almost, almost leaving their guys in the minors longer than they probably should be to just to, just to teach them a certain way and the expectations that they wanted. So it worked out. It certainly worked out for me. And I, I, uh, you know, you look back at some of them, I'm like, Oh, I would have, you know, now I should have just taken that with the Islanders. But I'm like, you know what? Then I would have missed out in New Jersey, and and we won a cup in my rookie year. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that you're saying, Mike, that I and I hope our listeners who are hockey players at what I don't it doesn't matter if they're youth, high school, junior, going to college, doesn't matter. The 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 idea of taking your time, and you know, we live in such of a world where everything's got to happen now, right? <clears throat> and taking your time so that you know or they know that you're at the best spot you're at uh, in that, you know, in that position that I think that's huge. Cause I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, a lot of athletes, I don't care if it's hockey, basketball, football, doesn't matter. A lot of our youth athletes are pushed so quickly and they don't yeah. get to, they don't get to progress and they don't get to develop. So I think that's huge. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think that I can say, I mean, I was certainly one of the top kids always in Cleveland, but there were some that were better than me. And some of those kids, I don't want to say they they were burned out, but you know they were switching teams every year. They were yep. going up to Michigan and out of state every single weekend. Um, they didn't, they weren't kids, and they hit a wall. And when they were 13, 14, they plateaued, and. I didn't, you know, and I, I tell every parent that I work with in youth hockey, I say, your kid has to have time off because you now I was coaching that junior otters team. It was U 14 team for, for two years and the U 15 team for the one year. And I, I would tell the parents, I said, I love your kid's dedication. You guys bring them into these camps and clinics and getting extra time and, and skill sessions, make sure he has his time off. Because when I get him back in August, I want him to be foaming at the mouth to play hockey. Right. And if he's doing it all year, it just becomes one of the, you know, it's like eating breakfast every day. I don't get pumped about eating breakfast because I eat breakfast every day of my life. And, <laughs> and you know, you have to. Actually, I do get pumped about eating breakfast. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say, me too. Like, come on, man. Yeah, it's I mean, maybe that's a bad example, meal of the day, but, man. Come on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, that's the big thing. Is So whether that, what, what does that mean? Does that mean playing other sports? I think it's really good for you to play other sports, but you got to get away. You got to unplug from the game because you want that, that desire and, and that, tenacity to get back at it like it's been taken away from you yeah that's that's immeasurable and you can't teach that and you need that and uh so i, I think that that's that's really big hey and look at in, in the other side of it too this nhl draft that just happened you know again working with nhl network and, and doing stuff with the draft um there's a player i'm sure you guys probably saw about it uh, him that got drafted this kid jack quinn this kid gets drafted he's an ottawa-based kid and he played for the Ottawa 67s. He played double A hockey. His first year triple A was at 15. And he's got drafted eighth overall in the draft. 
didn't play triple a hockey didn't run all over didn't run all over canada or the united states to play triple a hockey to find a team that was triple a so he could play that level stayed where he was at worked at his craft and he came out this year in the with the ottawa 67 scored 52 goals drafted eighth overall to the buffalo sabers and when i i've talked to some <clears throat> ohl coaches that coach against him they say he's a complete player complete player he's a sniper but he's a complete player and that's a nice lesson to everybody you don't have to jump around just work at your game if you're good enough and you have potential to get there you're going to get there at some point to whatever level that is um you can't recreate anything so um you know that's the biggest thing that i learned is just be patient with it you know one of the one of the i've heard people say that you do or ask the question of do you want to be a good player on a great team, or do you want to be a great player on a average team? Is that along the same lines? Because you're no matter, no, no matter your, your potential, your strengths, your, your, how good you are, someone will find you. True. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly no, true? It's, it's, yeah, it's true. Um, I, I used an example of a kid when our first year doing this junior otters program, um, this kid played, so we're trying to put this together and we're trying to play against higher competition. I mean, we were not a triple A team. Uh, we're trying to play against very good double A teams, weak triple A teams. And we got our butts kicked. And I think there needs to be a healthy dose of that, but you need to mix in, you know, we had to, we had to schedule some tournaments that were winnable tournaments. Maybe they were just good double A tournaments. We had to keep the kids interested. You know what I mean? Sure. But you had to kind of, show them what's out there. And that's big. And we had a kid in that year, uh, this family from Jamestown, New York said, uh, there's this kid from Bradford PA. And I don't know if you guys know where Bradford PA is, but I certainly didn't. And I live in Pennsylvania. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's about an hour and a half. Uh, it's an hour and a half East of Erie, kind of right at the New York state border at the top of Pennsylvania. And I didn't even know there was hockey there. I've never heard of a team from there. And they said, there's this kid there. He's pretty good. I'm like, have him come out. We'll see how he is. He came out. I'm like, where is this kid from? <laughs> and I talked to his parents and he's played house league. And his dad was the coach. They would take about nine skaters every year. So he played every other shift pretty much. Never leave the ice. Didn't never left the ice. And he played house house league in Bradford PA. And he was uh, 14 years old. And he certainly made the team and he played that year. And he, we, we competed against some triple A teams that year and he could have played on any triple A team we played on. So then the thing was, all right, we didn't build this program enough or it's, it's late where he's not going to reap the benefits of it. This is going to be the kids that are eight now that are going to, you know, once we pave this, then they'll be able to reap the benefits of it. So I'm trying to work with this family. Like, Hey, he, he can't play this level again. We have to push the envelope with them. And so, um, I made, I tried to help out in any way I could and had some people watch them. So I called the Buffalo junior Sabres. It's funny is actually Kevin Adams, who's the GM of the Sabres now was running their, you know, their, their youth hockey program uh, out of the, um, Harbor center. And, and uh, I said to him, Hey, I got a kid here that I like for him to go to your guys tryouts. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to be honest with you, Rupper. Uh, we're not going to, we, we want to take, we're going to take the kids that have been part of the program. So even if he's a smidge better 
we're probably going to stick with the kid who's been here for four or five years. I, I understand that completely. But this kid's in Bradford here. Uh, he, just look at him. I'm telling you right now that this kid would run through a wall. Like he wants to be a player and he's got the heart like I've never seen. So he says to me, um, all right, we have one spot open on D. And this team, by the way, finished this next season is the top rated uh, U15 team in the country. And they knew they were going to be good going into the season. He goes, we got one spot on D. He goes, can you play D? I go, absolutely. I've never seen the kid play defense. He's a center. <laughs> and I'm like, absolutely. He can play goalie. He'll play goalie if you want to play goalie. I don't know if he'll be good at goalie, but he'll try. I wish our listeners so, could see the smirk on your face right now when you said that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, you know what? So he goes up there to this camp and the kid got it done. He made the team as the last defenseman. I check in with uh, the coach of the team. I think it was, I think it was Mike Peck of the year. Um, I didn't speak to him directly, but I spoke to people with the team and they said that, you know, by the end I went out and I saw him play a couple of times. He was probably like the fourth best defenseman on that team. So he, he played, he, he needed to play against the best competition. He was on one of the best teams. So he finishes that year. And then I'm like, all right, so now you've shown that you can play a different position. You've never played. This kid was two years away removed from house league hockey. Now he's on the best U15 team in the country and he did okay. And now it's like, now you need to play a position that he doesn't even know how to play. He's never played. Yeah. So I'm like, now you need to be the man somewhere or at least give you the opportunity to be the man. You still got to play against the same competition. You got to play against all the best teams, but you need to play on a weaker team now where you're going to, it, you're, you're going to have to, they're going to have to rely on out. Yeah, And so out. yeah, that team was, was the Barons team this past season, uh, this past year, the U16 Barons team. So I talked to uh, the Barons and he went there and he had an awesome year. He led them in scoring. He was back at forward. And now I started getting phone calls about the kid for, you know, uh, USHL North American interest, not yet, but they're getting on the radar. And this kid did the work. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just intriguing to me because you're right. You, it's, you don't have to be, there is real value in being the man and you still have to play against good competition, but you don't have to be on the best team. You don't have to move around every year to be the best. Cause you know what happens when you're on the best team. Those are the, usually the best kids. And that might mean that you don't get the reps you need. You know, and uh, you know, a perfect example, and it's a long-winded answer here, but we started this junior otters team. I'd, I had to have a cutoff at some point. And there's this one kid, that we had 04 birth years in, in, in Erie. And this one kid is a really, he was a really solid player, but he's always played behind four or five oh fours that were getting all the reps. This kid was good enough to make the team, the junior otters team. But I knew if he made the team, he'd be playing, he'd be in that same mold. He'd be one of the, he'd be one of the kids that just, he's not getting the reps because those kids were better than him. So I talked to the dad and this kid was dedicated and you know what? It was a special parents and, um, and a kid to have the mindset. I said, listen, we're taking some kids on this team that your son is better than, but the best thing for him right now, he has never experienced being the man. He's got to be the man. So we left him back. And he was playing, you know, the house travel division in Erie. And he was the guy. And he, his dad came back to me a year later 
And he goes, you know what? It was a tough pill to swallow. And he didn't like it. I didn't like it, but we trust the process. He goes, I'd never seen him more confident as a player. So then the next year he was on the team. He's one of our top players. So we almost jumped in kids because he, you know, you have to, you have to get reps. And if you're always going to chase and just, you know, just say, Hey, I play for this team. No, man, work where you're at, make the team better. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot, a lot that uh, you'll benefit from doing that. There's also the development issue. It's not just your skill-based development, it's your mental development. So the fact that he had to go be the man to understand mentally what that took, you're there, you're getting your reps, you're working on your skill-based development, and now the package starts to really mold and come together to where he is today. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think that a lot of times, you know, just in our, our area, Northeast Ohio and some of these surrounding areas, like, you know, you hear, you know, Penn's elite, um, Buffalo Junior Sabres. People dream of playing there because their facilities are unbelievable. They have the logo of an NHL team. There's guys they look up to, Sidney Crosby, the Jack Eichels, that they love. They get confidence from the logo on their tracksuit going to the rink. That confidence isn't going to last them as a player. The confidence they need is when they drop the puck and they have been exposed to situations that they've learned to fight through. And that can happen no matter where you're at. It's, it's how you handle it. So I think that's a big thing. And, you know, we can talk all day till we're blue in the face. I'm clearly have made it obvious that I'm not a big fan of switching teams all the time. I right. just don't think that that's a good, you, they just, you don't learn to cope and work through it. My coach is a jerk. Okay. Well, you're going to have another coach that's a jerk. So <laughs> let's figure this one out. And if you don't, what if you don't he, what make do you it to hockey, to you're going to have a boss that's a jerk. So, you know, it's, yeah, you're gonna... listen, there's a lot of jerks out there, man. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be introduced to them your whole life. Yep. So yeah. let's learn as a kid how to get through it and uh, it'll benefit you, uh, you know, it, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Yep. Well, not, not to completely switch gears, but we're, we're, I'm going to go back to you and, and how things have a funny way of working out. Did you at one point think, about playing out your rookie contract and, and possibly switching career paths. I had read a story. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my, um, with New Jersey, right? Yeah. So okay. I was, you know, obviously I was dreaming of playing in the NHL and, um, I was in Albany and the American league two years in a row and we were terrible. I mean, we, we were, we were coming up on a professional, uh, record, in pro hockey of being one of the worst teams. I remember, I guess the I, the only reason why I know this is because we almost beat it. Uh, the Baltimore Skipjacks had the worst record in professional hockey, the pro hockey. Um, I think they had 13 wins one season, and we were coming up on that in Albany. And we ended up getting like 14 or 15 or whatever. We just dodged that bullet. So, uh, but there was a couple of years of that. And I didn't feel like I was going to get a chance in the NHL. And, you know, just like anybody else, you have moments of weakness. And um, I got called up. Um, this was actually, it's kind of funny. Or sorry, I was going into my third year pro. It's my last year on my entry-level contract. And uh, the New York, no, New Jersey Devils at the time, traded Bob, uh, sorry, Bobby Holik signed with the New York Rangers. So they had an opening at center and that Bobby Holik was a big physical center. And that's what I was. 
So I remember the summertime, Lou Lamarillo flew me in just to come meet with him. I'm sitting in his office and he said, there's a big opportunity here with Bobby departing, going to the Rangers. Um, this is your job to lose and, um, you know, come in here and have a good, strong summer. I worked my tail off that summer, came into camp, um, never even got an exhibition game. They, I was the first group that was sent down to Albany. And I, I didn't feel like I got a chance to even show what I do. I went down to Albany and the, the head coach at the time, his name is Red Gender, and he says he knew I was upset. No, I, I was still working, but I was I didn't have any confidence. And he said to me, he goes, listen, Lou Lamp Lou does things that don't make sense. Just trust me that things are done to see how you respond. And that's how he knows who he wants on his roster. So I'm like, what, what does that mean? Like, I deserve to be on that team, but he's going to not allow me on that team to see how I, I, I take that. So I was playing in Albany again. Our team wasn't very good. And I remember I got to the point where I'm like, I started going to the Pro Hockey Players Association, reaching out to them. They sent me some literature. And I, I wanted to, when my backup plan always was, I, I wanted to be a firefighter. And so I was signing up for a summer course out in Western Canada that was basically, I, I guess, some sort of fast track and, and learning to, to be a firefighter. And I had that literature and I said to myself, you know what, man, I'm playing out this season. And if I don't make it at some point this year, I just, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I do everything I can do. And, uh, you know, I remember I, I ended up getting, player of the week in the American league one week. And then, um, on my birthday, January 13th, I got the call. Uh, we finished the game on January 12th. And after the game, I went in the coach's office and he said, you got called up to New Jersey tomorrow. So I drove that night to New Jersey, checked in the hotel and I played my first NHL game on my birthday. And at that point you're trying just to play for game two. I mean, I had nothing. I mean, they had an injury. That's why I got called up. And I was, I, I was on top of my game at the time. That's why I got the call. So I went up in that first game and I remember, um, I was obviously nervous. I was excited. Uh, early on in the game, I, Scott Niedermeyer took a shot from the point and I deflected it and it went in. We we're playing against Florida Panthers. Roberto Longo was in that. And I, I deflected it and it went in and then they reviewed it. And it was, I was high sticking. I, my, my stick was too high. So I remember when they're reviewing it, I'm like, oh, I'm like, come on, how good would this be? My first NHL <laughs> game on my birthday. I didn't even know if I was going to be here. I was thinking I'm going to be a firefighter here in a couple months. <laughs> and at least this is, at least this is going to like, it was going to, for me, I would, if that was the only game I had, um, I would have been okay with it. I mean, it would have, I'm sure I wouldn't have always been, but my, I would, mine was to make it. I made it that day. Yeah. And so as the game goes on, I got that one away. Um, I ended up scoring two, two goals that counted. And so I was, you know, I, I felt pretty confident that I bought myself a second game. So then the second game happens and I'm trying to buy myself a third game. And I get an assist, a great, you know, tic-tac-toe play on the power play with Scott Gomez and, and Patrick Aliash. So I felt pretty secure. I bought a third game and in my head, I don't know when it's going third game. It wasn't going so smooth. I got, and uh, I got yelled at in the locker room after the first period by Pat Burns. 
So I knew I needed to do something. So I went out there and I started a fight in the third and the third period. <laughs> and well, I can't score. So, I'm going to start fighting. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, I've always been told, this has always been the junior mantra is you, you're getting on the score. You got to get on the score sheet somehow. Yeah. So if I'm not scoring, well, by golly, I'll get on this way. <laughs> so I, I got in a fight, my first NHL fight and it bought me another game. So anyways, all this was going on. And then playoff time comes around and the trade deadline, the devils went out and bought, uh, you know, got some veteran guys and I got left off the playoff roster. And this was another kind of response time for me. How am I going to handle this? And Albany was not in the playoffs. I was one of the black aces, which means we practiced and that's all we did during the playoffs. And we we're ready in case, you know, uh, I guess the black aces have a better chance now with, with COVID of crack, cracking the lineup. But at that time, <laughs> right. yeah, I was doing the math. I need like, I need like five forwards to be sick or hurt for me to have a chance. And even at that, even with that chance, I would have to be the best of the black aces to, to get the call. And so um, there's a few times during that, the playoff run. I mean, we literally, we were not allowed to associate with the NHL team. We went in there before them. It like seven in the morning, skated till we almost puked. We had no goalie. And we did that for two months and every day. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I said back in November that I was going to push through this. And I'm not going to have any regrets here. So I pushed through. You know, I wanted to quit, wanted to go home. I knew if I went home, I'd never be able to play again because no no one no one's gonna have you on their roster after that so <laughs> i i kind of gutted it out and um for the stanley cup finals they needed uh they needed two fords to travel with the team because the finals were in anaheim and new jersey and geographically couldn't ship a guy out there if they needed um at the last second so Anyways, uh, I'm just practicing now with the team. So I'm loving it. I'm absorbing and watching these guys trying to stay out of the way. And um, I'm practicing on a fifth line in practice. And I remember after practice, I'm shooting on the goalies and they're having us guys, you know, working with Corey Schwab and Marty Bredore for a few minutes after practice. And I remember it's hilarious because it got to a point where Marty Bredore's goaltending coach, Jacques Perron, was pumping me up in practice. Cause I was, I was, I was shooting the puck. Well, I was working hard. I was scoring goals. And so, uh, the team was struggling, uh, or sorry, the team was struggling with face-off. So we won the first two games of the series, lost the third, but Anaheim was dominating us on face-off. So, uh, they needed, they were going to inject a centerman in the lineup and this goalie coach, Marty's goalie coach went to Pat Burns and said, Hey, listen, this, you know, this might sound crazy, but this kid has been shooting the puck like you wouldn't believe. He's on. I don't know, you know, and so they gave me a, the call to play in games four, five, six, and seven. You know, I haven't played a game in three months, <laughs> and I got to play in those games. And, um, you know, it was another opportunity, and, you know, it was something that worked out. We won the cup, and it was, it was really a big springboard for me. I, I like how you left out the one – key part yeah you won the stanley cup you're so modest let's talk about game seven yeah what was it like scoring your first nhl stanley cup playoff goal on the biggest stage in game seven as a game winner and i think if if my if and it's i mean my 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 brain's kind of gone now mike but i think you had two assists or 
Yeah, two assists in that game too, three points, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, maybe yeah, it's not, so maybe it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so I I played game four. Literally was put out there to take faceoffs. I played probably you know fourth line minutes. Probably played six or seven minutes in game game four. Um, but I was just I just didn't want to make a mistake. So I was making sure I was getting pucks in deep, not turning the puck over those parts of the ice where you're not supposed to. I was playing uh, uh, you know limited minutes, but it was you know it ended up working out okay. So then in game five. They bumped me up to Joe Noondike was out with an injury. So they bumped me up to uh, Jamie Langenbrunner and Jeff Friesenline, which was those two guys were top five in scoring in the playoffs. So I was in a really good spot to center those two. Uh, I got an assist in game five and they just kind of let it roll with that. Played with that line for game six and seven going into game seven. Um, It was really weird. I don't know how to put a finger on it. Um, before the game, we have our snack at the hotel. Uh, it was a home game for game seven, but we stayed in a hotel. And at four o'clock, we would go and have like a, a team snack where you have, you know, your coffee or whatever you want before the game. And I remember I was nervous as all. I'll get up. I mean, I would, I didn't know what to expect here in a game seven. I just don't want to make a mistake. And I go down there and some of the guys, John Madden, Ken Danico, these guys are telling old war stories while we're sitting around having a snack. And I'm watching Scott Stevens, Marty Berdour, Scott Niedermeyer, these guys be acting like nothing. Like they've been through this. They already won, they already won two cups. So I knew I was in good hands. And by seeing those guys not flustered by the situation, going into that game, I, I felt so calm. Because I only I felt like I was in good hands, and this was, and I thought to myself, "Listen, I'm playing with Hall of Famers on this team. They're game planning for those guys. And even though that I wasn't that, and I, in my career I was never a Hall of Fame type player, I was never a huge point getter in the NHL. I dreamt about those things. I played those things through my mind, playing on the driveway and playing youth hockey in Cleveland. So I knew that in my mind, this was an opportunity. I'm like, they're game planning for those guys. They're not game planning for me. So now the table's set because now I know what I, I'm just going to go to the net because no one's going to be looking out for number 16 the whole time. They're going to be looking for Patty Eliash or, you know, the rookie of the year, the year before and Scott Gomez, those are the guys they're going to look for. So, you know, we were just doing our thing in the game. Nothing pretty. Wasn't tic-tac-toe. It was winning the one-on-one puck battles in the corner, getting the puck to your point, beating your defense back to the net. I got a deflection uh, goal that went in early in the second period. And then it, we just were chipping pucks out and going to the net and our line scored all three goals in the game on three, nothing. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really strange evening because it was, I, I, I shouldn't have been calm. And I was for some odd reason. Well, the good news is you didn't have to go be a firefighter right after that. No, that's true. No. That's true. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, the career wasn't always, always puppies and rainbows after that, but um, it, it certainly bought me some time. And, um, you know, obviously winning a Stanley Cup ever is unbelievable. Winning in your first year kind of sets the bar a little high. Um, you're yeah. you're kind of setting yourself up for some dis- disappointment in the future. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was, uh, you know what, man, it's now that I'm done playing and I have been for six years, now I can actually enjoy thinking about those times because when you're as a player you're just trying to get back there and um you know it seems like almost like it didn't happen right yeah when uh when when the nhl was on a break on the pause 
they were replaying a lot of the games and they replayed that game. And I, I, I noticed something in that game that, that I didn't know at the time when originally watched it was you played against one of your future coaches in Dan Belsma. And so I'm watching the game and I, I don't know what I was doing and I hear and Dan Belsma with a check on whoever, Ken Danico, whoever. And I'm like, Holy cow. So did you and Dan ever have a conversation about that game? When you, yeah, when you so played, when you played in Pittsburgh, I signed, I signed in Pittsburgh in the summer of 2009 after they won the cup in 2009, he was the coach of that team. And so I went in one of the first days he came up to me and, you know, made a joke about it. And he's like, the only reason why I can look at you right now and have you here is I won the cup this year as a coach. <laughs> he goes, you took, you took the one away from me as a player, but I got it as a coach. And I'm like, Hey man, congratulations. Like, you know, uh, it was funny. It was, it was funny though, because one of the things too, it was kind of interesting. And we talked about it briefly too, is uh, and Dan Bosman is one of my favorite coaches I ever had. Um, and I don't know his side of it, but in the Stanley cup finals before game seven, I think it was after game six, they won. If you, if anybody remembers, that's the big Scott Stevens hit on, Paul Korea yep. and Paul Korea leaves the, I mean, the guy looked like he was dead. He I looked mean, like he was, left his body. It was like, even being on the other team, I, your stomach dropped. I'm like that, that guy's not going to get up. Got helped off the ice, went in the locker room, came back in the game, comes down the left wing and wires one inside the elbow, far side on Marty Bredore. Place goes nuts. They win game six to force game seven. Uh, Dan Bosma gets interviewed. And he, he said something on the lines of, I can't wait to shake Scott Stevens' hand knowing that we beat him for the Stanley Cup. And none of us players knew that that was said, but Pat Burns came in, and we always hear things about bulletin board material. And before the game happened on game seven, uh, the morning skate, Pat Burns comes in for our meeting that we always have every morning of a game. He came in about five minutes late to the meeting and he just put this article with this quote highlighted on it. Literally, maybe not on the bulletin board, but on the dry erase board, he just put a magnet on it, put it up there and said, everybody take a look at this. Um, this guy's talking about your expletive captain. That's who he's talking about. And left the room, slammed the door. We all looked at this and we're like, it's on now. You know what I mean? Like this guy's the, you know, he said, so I, I said, Dan's like, Oh, I didn't say that. I'm like, well, I mean, it was quoted. It was on the board. <laughs> so I thank Dan. I thank Dan for inspiring us before game seven, but he got his cups. So it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you go on and the playing days are winding down to fast forward to, to what you're doing now. Did you always know you wanted to end up doing uh, analytic work on TV or radio or anything of the such? My last few years playing, I started doing some stuff. Um, I always grew up. I love sports talk radio. Um, I've, I actually always, one of the things I always wanted to do too, I always wanted to be a, uh, like a sports talk host in Cleveland. I was a big Browns fan. Still am big Indians fan. By the way, they're winning. They're winning right now, Mike. They're winning right now. Are they now? I was just looking. It was, it was 10, 10 a little bit ago. 27, 17, 27, third quarter. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's always something that I was interested in. I like the speed of it. I like just sitting back and hot stoving about, you know, s- sports. And 
So I got the opportunity and I was done playing to try it out. And I tried it and I actually, it was weird. I got like, I got a, adrenaline from it. Like this different feel that was like, I was, I still got to sit with guys, players, former teammates, guys I played against. And we get to talk about hockey. Um, I go to do these events, whether it's the all-star game or the winter classic and do these things. And, you know, I didn't know how long I want to do this and I don't know how long I want to do this, but to one of the things that I was, you know, everybody told me when I was done playing is just don't disappear for a while. Cause when you disappear, you can't come back. It's not that easy. And so I was like, all right, I'll do this. It's fun. I enjoy it. Um, and you know, then I start going there and it's like, I was at the all-star game and, uh, covering the all-star game in Tampa. And I remember I was walking over and I walked past, uh, I was a big LA Kings fan growing up when Gretzky was there and, I walk past Lou Robitaille and Lou Robitaille looks at me and goes, Hey rapper, what's up? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like this guy knows who I am. And I obviously played against him, but like, I don't think he knew me from that. So he got, you know, he, you know, just in the States, you, you, you tune in NHL network. And, and so I start having these conversations with GMs in the league and scouts in the league and, um, you know, and that's ultimately what I want to, to do is be with an organization and work on, on more of the team upside. And um, I'm like, this is the place I want to be. I love my job and I get to have these relationships still. So, um, yeah, I've just been kind of keep doing that. I've been doing stuff in Pittsburgh um, with with the Penguins pre and post game. I've done some um, color commentating for games and called some games. So there's been some opportunity with that. So, um I don't know how long I'll do it, but right now it's it's great and I love it. So you've you've obviously had a very successful NHL uh, playing career, now a successful TV career um, with NHL Network and other things, as you mentioned. W- what is on the horizon for Mike Rupp? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a fireman. You're going to go try to take a test now, or? <laughs> well, I kind of get my my. Uh, my knees aren't the same as they were before. And I know, listen, man, I know some firemen and those guys are beasts. Yeah. And, hey, uh, hey, if Stipe Miocic can still be a fireman and he's the, the heavyweight champ in the, in the uh, UFC, I think Mike Rupp can still be a fireman. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I might have to go and I might have to go and rehab for a little bit my knee, but uh, you know, it's uh it's a little easier to sit behind a desk and just uh, pretend, you know, what you're talking about, but uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just kind of just to be honest. Every year, there's different opportunities that present. And you just gotta say what's see what's what's good for you. I mean, I enjoy coaching. I love coaching. Um, I've talked with teams on player development roles, and it didn't necessarily feel like the right time. I mean, I've got four kids and have kind of done that moving all over the country thing before, and I, I'm not ready to do that. Um, you know, I'm starting to get to that point, maybe a little bit more in the coming years, but um, yeah, just, uh, you know, the end, the end goal for me is to, to work for a team and to get a little closer to it and, and have those challenges. I have teammates, I have teammates and good friends that are GMs now. And I talk to those guys and it's, it's awesome. I mean, there's a lot of pressure there, but it's awesome. And um so you get to kind of, you know, pick their brain on those things and go from there. But I, I'd like to be with a, a, you know, working with a team and, and, and going for that cup again. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, Mike, we, we cannot thank you for your time tonight. 
uh, sitting down with us for uh, a little bit, talking to us about your playing career, coaching, your TV career, just a little bit to, about Mike Rupp, Cleveland guy. Uh, you know, and, and so, again, we appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us tonight. Awesome, guys. Anytime. Keep up the great work, and uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Weaving our way south, making our way to Columbus, back in Ohio to get on air with an original Blue Jacket, 16-year pro hockey veteran from Blue Jackets Live, Jean-Luc Grandpierre. Our next guest is an original Blue Jacket, drafted 28th overall by the four-point Harfangs of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. He played four years of Major Junior before being drafted 179th overall in the 1995 NHL entry draft by the Buffalo Sabres, making his NHL debut on February 19th, 1999. He came to Columbus as a part of the expansion draft during the Blue Jackets inaugural season, playing 202 games with Columbus. A two-way player, both forward and defense, he played 16 years of professional hockey in the NHL and Europe. After taking some time away, he came back to the Blue Jacket organization doing radio broadcasts for the team. With a mind for the game and now a voice for the game, he became a in-studio analyst for Blue Jackets Live on Fox Sports Ohio, covering pre- and post-game coverages as well as intermission breaks now. From Montreal, Quebec, Canada, Ben Venu on air, Jean-Luc Grandpierre. Welcome, Jean-Luc. Uh, thank you, guys. This has to be the longest introduction I've ever heard from myself, so uh, I'm going to have to take that uh, little tape there and uh, send it to my dad. Tell him I made it. There you go. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Tell him you made it. Dad, I made it on the on-air podcast. He might send it back to you and be like, John Luke, never even heard of it. <laughs> he, he barely speaks English. He'll have no clue. Just tell him they're just saying really good things about me. Yeah, right. Well, hopefully he understood my French there at the end because that was uh, uh, that was hard for me there. Oh, uh, no problem. So, hey, John Luke, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how you got your start in hockey? So, uh, yeah, it was pretty simple, actually. It was uh, literally just due to my environment. Uh, somebody, I grew up in Montreal. My parents uh, immigrated from Haiti, so they were big into soccer and track. And, uh, you know, being in Montreal, you know, soccer in the summer, but uh, summer is pretty short in Montreal. So in the winter, I had to find something to get myself going. And uh, everybody was playing street hockey. All my friends played hockey at school, and uh, that's how I ended up trying it out. Uh, it was a very interesting process, uh, especially the first year. My uh, parents put me in uh, figure skating to learn how to skate properly. And, uh, you know, after that, it was, it was just, I would say, probably I was eight years old first year I, I actually played the game of hockey. And uh, it's been a love story ever since. <laughs> so being from Montreal, who, who were some of your favorite players growing up? Were you, were you a Canadiens fan or were you Nordiques fan? I was a did, big did, Nordique fan. Dare I say Toronto fan, but I know oh boy. Montreal, Toronto. Hey, don't hey, we're trying to have a nice conversation here, Jay. Come on. No, no, absolutely no Toronto love here. Uh, I was a I was a big Nordique fan, and it was, I think, my dad's fault because he was a big Nordique fan. He was not a big Montreal Canadian fan, but obviously, growing up in Montreal, you know, it was all about Montreal. So I did watch a more Canadians game than the Quebec Nordiques game. Uh, but I was a big Nordique fan. And then as far as my favorite player, I was a uh, Chris Chelios, uh, hands down, somebody that I watched uh, ever since I'm a little boy. I loved watching him. And it was quite the moment the first time I got to play against him. That was going to be my question. He played for about 30 years. So I didn't know if 
you got a chance to play against them and, and what that felt like seeing your boyhood idol. It was pretty unreal. Yeah, it it was pretty unreal. Uh, Obviously, it was not as pesky and as, uh, you know, nasty as the days he played in Montreal when I played against him because I want to say it was in Chicago the first time I played against him. But uh, it's really eye-opening of an experience when uh, you grow up watching these guys and the next thing you know, you're on the ice, you know, playing against them. And I'll never forget, you know, my first NHL game, obviously it's a good memory, but my second NHL game was the eye opener. Uh, I was in Buffalo and it was an afternoon game on Fox at the time. Remember that crazy puck that was lighting up? Everywhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it looked like it was so, going into the stands. Yes. Like, you, you go to, yeah. So I was part of one of those first experience and that was uh, against uh, the Detroit Red Wings. And I remember being on the red line stretching before the game and you're kind of like your emotions all high from your first NHL game. And I'm looking across and I'm watching like Stevie, Stevie Eisenman and Lindstrom and Fedorov and all these guys skating around. And I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening. Uh, it, it was <laughs> that that's really when it really hit me that I was in the NHL. My first game, it's kind of a blur, but that second one I'll never forget. <laughs> so, I mean, listen, our listeners are going to, they've been wanting me to ask this question since you're, from Canada, have you found a good spot in Columbus for real poutine, <laughs> or or maybe Cleveland? Because I'm looking, man. I'm looking. <laughs> Listen, guys. My wife's family's from Cleveland. Uh, I've scouted the area there, uh, the West Side, especially. I've scouted all of Columbus. I have not found anything that comes even close to remotely taste like poutine. So, yeah. if one of your listeners has it, please. Tweet me, call me, do whatever. I'll give you all my personal info to get to it. Have you thought about just walking into a place and saying, look, here's how you make it? Making it is not the issue. It's the cheese, right? So the, 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 you know, they sell, my wife buys me curds all the time, left and right. I think for the first 10 years that we're married, she would come with some kind of curds every single week and say, let's try this. And I was like, <laughs> I give her the thumbs down so many times. She's basically given up on that. Then, you know, when I go to Montreal, I have poutine right away and I'll eat it for seven days straight. I don't care. Right. I'm sick to my stomach. At least I got another. I know I'm going to go without it for another 10, mo- 10 months. <laughs> so it's all good for me. Yeah, good, good. So I was reading and we were doing the research on you and your parents always stressed the importance of education growing up. You played four years of major junior in Quebec. Not that major junior doesn't promote education, but did you ever think about going the NCAA route? Uh, I did. And uh, that's actually a great question because it's really funny how everything kind of takes a turn. And, you know, a lot of times you, you ask guys like, hey, did you know you're willing to go to the NHL or, you know, to the, the NCAA? And they're like, I had no idea. And it, it sounds corny, but it's so true. The way it started for me, I was just, uh, like I said, I was playing, you know, double A, double B. I was never a triple A type kid growing up. And I went to uh, a summer uh, like camp and there was a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, NCAA teams that happened to be there and I start you know they were talking to my parents about it and I think when I was like 15 or 16 I got invited to do some unofficial visits on some NCAA campus and literally that same summer 
again, I get drafted in the Quebec League, which I had no idea. I've never seen a game from the Quebec League before I even played there. <laughs> so that's just to show you how disconnected I was to that world. And, uh, you know, I, 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 get, I get a phone call. I'm drafted, got to go to training camp. And I'm going to this training camp thinking I'm underage in a way because that was one of the first year that the underage draft uh, for 15-year-old that year. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to go. I'll be back. I was going to private school in Montreal, and my parents really wanted me to graduate from this prestigious high school in Montreal that they spent so much money on me going to. And long story short, I ended up making the team. And so now I have to move to Quebec and my parents were, I mean, my dad just talked to him about it a couple of weeks ago. And he said, your mom didn't talk to me for months straight. (laughs) And, you know, he's like, it's not my fault. He made the team. It's not like, you know, he knew the coach and he paid him under the table. So, you know, I went from, you know, living at home and playing, you know, 20, 25 games a year, but playing Bantam. And I went from Bantam straight to junior, uh, major junior. So it was, it was a big shock uh, culturally for me, getting used to living with a different family. I wasn't expected, you know, to leave home that early. So it was a big adjustment. And uh, that's how really it all started for me. So you were drafted by St. Louis and then traded to Buffalo. What can you tell us about February 19th, 1999? Uh, I can tell you about February 18th, which is when I got the call, uh, thought it was a joke. Uh, so I think it was my first year or second year pro. No, it was my second year pro and I had a really good first year, but did not get called up. Didn't expect to honestly. And then the second year, uh, I think, you know, I opened a few more eyes, went to the all-star game that game uh, that year, I believe. And, uh, I got a call and it was, uh, Brian McCutcheon, who was our coach in, uh, in uh, the American League. And I've always heard of the prank, like, hey, they're going to call you until you get called up, and it's a big joke. So I was like, you know, I get the calls, like, hey, Brian, or Jean-Luc. Uh, and it was really short. He's like, hey, you're going to Buffalo tomorrow. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, who is this? <laughs> Thinking it's one of the veterans playing around with me. And he's like, no, no, it's me. I'm dead serious. Go get your equipment. They expect you in Buffalo tomorrow morning for morning skate. I was like, all right. So I go to rank and, you know, it's only a 60, yeah, 55, 60 minute drive to, to uh, Buffalo. And I went there for morning skate. Uh, thankfully, I was very familiar with all the players up there because of uh, the way Buffalo ran their system. You know, we're talking 20, 30 years. Wait, yeah, 25 years ago. Uh when you were in junior, you had the option to come and train in Buffalo all summer. They had those development camps and you would stay in Buffalo for six to eight weeks and train. And I did it every summer. And what it did, it, it really uh, helped me create a relationship with the current players that were staying in town and training. So when training camp started, the nerves were gone because you're used to everyone. You're used to the facilities. Yeah. You know, you know the staff, you know where to go. And it made it so much easier. So my first game... I was just really with a bunch of guys that I already knew. Uh, It was not too foreign. The only difference is, you know, I was playing in the NHL. It was a home game against the uh, San Jose Shark. And I'll never forget, uh, after the game, I thought I was going to be an NHL legend because I was, we won four to one and I was a plus minus four that game. (laughs) So I was plus four in my first NHL game. 
And I was like, oh boy, this is much easier than I thought, right? And then, like I told you guys, second game against Detroit, I think I was a minus one or two as uh, you know, Fedorov and Iserman were doing their thing on me. <laughs> Walking out of the rink after game one, like, all right, I got this, you know? Like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> kind of, are you ready to buy myself a place and a couple new cars? <laughs> Look, looking in the real estate <laughs> magazines, and that that night you get back to the hotel. You're like, oh, okay. That's right. How, how many like, bathrooms you know, do we need? Six? We need six bathrooms. Let's do it. Exactly. <laughs> I almost bought the D- Dominic Hashik's place. I always, I almost <laughs> asked him after the game if he was ready to sell it to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey Hashik, I'm plus four tonight. You ready to sell your place? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's so, funny. Jean-Luc, we we have an expansion draft happening again next year. You were part of an expansion bringing the Blue Jackets into the league. Other than figuring out where Columbus was on the map, what is other firsts does a player going into an expansion situation have to deal with? Uh, the biggest challenge is all of a sudden you are, and now the league is in a different spot than it was you know, 20 years ago. Right. 20 years ago, for the lack of a better word, it was more more of a like old school mentality where you didn't talk to anybody on the other team unless, you know, you played junior together or, you know, you're from the same hometown. So you didn't like anyone on the other teams. I never liked anyone in a way. You know, every game you're trying to win, you're fighting, you know, hitting guys in the teeth with your elbows. I mean, there's there's no lost love there. And uh, going in in a locker room and playing with all new different players is always a big uh, a challenge. Nowadays, I think, you know, the NHLP has done a good job. Everybody has a little more respect for each other. So I think a lot of guys already know each other. But still, you're taking 20 individuals that most likely never played together. And now you have 20 guys that are looking for places, 20 guys that need to find out where's the rink, where's the practice <laughs> rink, where are the good schools if you have families. So it, it definitely is a big adjustment. But for me, when I came, uh, I already knew uh, uh, Jeff Sanderson mm-hmm. that was here. So obviously Sandy and I played together in Buffalo, so I knew him well. So that was a really uh, – it was an easier transition, I guess, for me at that time uh, to know at least Sandy. And obviously within two, three days of training camp, you get to know all the guys. But uh, it's definitely a big adjustment because, and especially back then, all the guys that come in the, inspe- uh, in the expansion draft are guys that, you know, for lack of a better word, teams that they were on before didn't quite care for them enough right. to protect them. Right. So everybody's there to try to prove something. You know, I got traded to Columbus. I wasn't part of the expansion draft, but I still knew I want to establish myself as a permanent NHLer. So I had that same mentality. And I think that first year in Columbus, that's what made the team so special. Yeah, we didn't make the playoffs, but for an expansion team, I think we did really well, but it was really, you know, a lot of character that, you know, took place that year. Yeah, yeah I mean, we definitely saw that it that it can work, uh, especially with what we saw what would happen with Vegas, right? Right. So, you know, I mean, you're you're right. You get a group of guys that are like, well, nobody wants us. Okay, let's prove them wrong. And that could be that could be one of the most dangerous things. You take a pro, you pro athlete that you're not wanted, and you put twenty of them together. Okay. You yeah. Know. Exactly. And now, especially with Vegas, that's that's even 
better for Vegas and worse for the players because now all of a sudden you have like second line guys that are exposed to the draft. Yeah, right. And, you know, second, third defensemen, starting goalies that are going there like flurry. So these guys are, you know, they're already like pretty high up in their career and now they get slapped in the face saying, hey, you know, you're going there. We don't want you. What an opportunity. And, you know, you could see Vegas had a great team, still has a great sure. team. What a great start for these guys. Yeah. So, Jean-Luc, you spent a lot of, you spent some time in Europe during your playing days. Uh, what was that experience like compared to here in the States or, or North America? Um, and, I mean, what we've asked a lot of players that, that played over uh, in Europe, you know, what, what were some of your favorite towns to play in? Because we've heard, I mean, we've heard it's a lot different over there. It is a lot different. Uh, European experience for me was incredible, uh, not just on the hockey uh, side, but on the family, you know, with my family and uh, the personal part of life. It was, it was a great, great experience. I wouldn't replace it for anything, but I'll start with the hockey. Uh, for hockey, so I've played in Germany, I played in Sweden, and I played in Finland. So those are the three countries I, I played in, I would say. Hockey-wise, Germany, was probably one of the most fun because uh, every country has different rules, but uh, the DEL, which is in Germany, uh, you had the right to have 10 North American imports on your team. So we had a lot of, you know, the team I was on, you know, Darren Van Amp, uh, Craig Johnson, Jamie Storr, Sean Brown, I. So there was a lot of guys that played in the NHL. We all happened to be on one team. And, you know, we had a Canadian general manager, Canadian coach, Don Jackson was our coach. I mean, it was an absolute blast. So the hockey was, it was fairly good, but the hockey was really brought up because of all the North American that were there. And I think that really helped develop German hockey. And now we're seeing the, you know, the, a lot of German players finally, you know, we saw in this last draft there, third overall, uh, which was it Sulze or? Yes. Yeah. You know, coming up to the forefront, you would have never, you know, when I played in Germany 10, 12 years ago, you would have never heard of a German player making it to the NHL. Right. And now you're seeing more and more of these guys, obviously, uh, uh, I think they developed a lot and brings a lot of import definitely help, uh, Sweden, uh, only two imports. So it was just me and one more guy. So it was a completely different experience. The Swedish hockey was uh, ahead of the NHL, not skill-wise, but I think the way they played the game, it was not as physical, larger ice, but a lot of possession game, what you see in the NHL today. And that explains the amount of European that are coming over to the NHL performing so well is skill-wise and the way they thought the game 10 years ago, they were so ahead of the curve. Uh, you know, you look at North American hockey, it was still like a let's pound, 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 dump the puck. Uh, Swedish hockey was completely different. And that's one of the reason why the NCA is such a great way for players to still make it to the NHL now compared to back in my days where it was basically juniors and NCA didn't like your chance to get an education, but to make it to the big leagues, you couldn't, is the fact that the NCAA is really based on skills, development, more than the physical part like the OHL, the Quebec League, or the WHL. Was it always the plan for your family to return to Columbus to live after your playing days were done? Well, if it was up to my wife, we'd still be living in Germany or Sweden right now. <laughs> she, well, I think uh, Sweden would be a lot better than Ohio, but whatever. Right. 
And it's funny because, uh, you know, I talked to you about the family part of living in Europe. It was great for my kids. You know, my, my daughter is a school teacher now and she, uh, you know, she got to live in Europe for years and go to different schools in Sweden and Finland. And really, I think it opens up their eyes to the world that we don't just, you know, it's not like, hey, you're American, you live in America, and that's it. They got to see the whole world and create some relationships. But uh, I would say the plan to come to Columbus, my wife's from the Cleveland area, like I said, uh, I love Columbus from basically the minute I got here, uh, got a lot of friends. We built a house here uh, in 2007, 2008. And uh, that's when I pretty much knew that we're going to stay in Columbus. Uh, and uh, why? It's a good question. <laughs> Cost of living is good. There's not much traffic, good golf. Yeah, there's a winter, but it's much softer than the Montreal winter. And the summers are hot. So for me, it was a, it was a perfect uh, match. And uh, that's why I'm still here. Well, as, as, as a fellow, I, as an educator myself, I really appreciate what your daughter's doing, especially in today's world. So make sure you tell her we said thank you for her work. Surely will. So you're not on TV. Um, and the radio. When did you decide to get back to the game in that capacity? <laughs> so that's funny. I didn't really decide to do it. Uh, so I stopped playing, I want to say in 2012 or 13, whatever it was. And uh, funny enough, Fox Sports reached out to me in 2012, right before I was about to go back for my last season in Europe. And they asked me if I would be interested in doing some stuff on TV. And I said, actually, I'm not ready yet. I'm going to go back to Europe and play one final season. So never heard anything about that. But when I retired, I, I kind of want to step away completely from hockey and do something else. And uh, that thing was real estate for me. And I, I got into uh, real estate uh, sales. Absolutely loved it did that for a few years and then uh, start helping out with uh, high school hockey here in Columbus, uh, start coaching high school hockey. And that's really when I found a passion again for the game. And John, <laughs> what, what, what school did you coach at? Uh, New Albany. Albany. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, and uh, actually we made the state championship last year. We just didn't get a chance to play, unfortunately. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, obviously I don't coach that anymore, but that's really when I started taking interest again in the game, because once you retire doing the same thing for 15 years, some guys want to stay in it and they're like, this is my passion. And some guys are like, I just need a break. I need to do something else. That's where I was personally. So about three, four years ago, the Blue Jackets start getting those playoff runs and uh, they reach out to me and say, hey, would you like to help out doing some radio in the playoffs, pregame, postgame, et cetera? I said, why not? And that's really when I start falling in love with the NHL again and, you know, kind of watching the game, not necessarily from a former player perspective and like critiquing like oh i could have done that better etc but more as a fan and the way that you know you guys watch the games and that you know my next door neighbor watched the game what's happening why is it happening and being able to break it down that way it's almost like that break away from hockey really helped me get there and that's when i decided to 
when Billy Davidge announced that he was retiring, uh, you know, I reached out to them and, you know, obviously I've worked with them for three years at that point, doing some radio in the playoffs. And uh, I think it was just a, a perfect match. And it was the right time for me to re-enter the game of hockey on a professional level. Uh, so that's how it happened. Honestly, it was not something that I planned all along. You know, if it would have happened, Obviously, I'm happy it happened, but if it didn't happen, I would have been fine. But I wouldn't be calling other teams to do what I'm doing right now. Sure. <laughs> right. So we talked about the upcoming expansion draft, but we just finished the entry draft for 2020. How would you rate the job that the Blue Jackets did? I have no clue. We'll have to find out in about six, seven years, right? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> it, it, I mean, <laughs> it's so true. You never know with the draft. And uh, you know, I look at any drafts from any years, unless you get a top five, you know, maybe this year, a top 10 pick. Uh, it's really hard to evaluate your draft uh, because you don't know what these guys are going to turn into. We know that none of these guys that got drafted this year were most likely not going to see any of them for at least three years at the NHL level. So how they're going to de develop how they're going to play. Obviously injuries can happen as well. You really can't evaluate a draft until you start seeing these guys uh, come in the American league or the NHL. So it's hard for me to evaluate. I don't know any of the guys they've drafted. I was kind of like clueless, you know, when the jackets picked uh, uh, their pick, was it 21st? And, yes. you know, the crew on NBC sport had no clue what's going on and they went to a commercial break Guess what? I was the same because beside Alexis Lafreniere, he's the only person that actually saw play uh, in uh -huh. person. Everybody else I just saw on TV or heard about them. So, uh, I, you know, I believe in Yarmo. He, obviously, he's got a great scouting uh, staff around him. So we'll see. He obviously knew something. Because, you I, know, I, I watched that draft, too. And, and I listened to those analysts when they came back and the draft experts and they said, he's not on our list. <laughs> like, he was not right. in their top 100 list. So they yeah. weren't ready to, I mean, they didn't even have a picture of the poor kid when they drafted <laughs> him, which is kind of crazy. But, you know. What do you think that poor kid felt? He's like, what? I just got drafted? <laughs> he, he was sleeping. He was in Russia. I don't think he expected it himself. He, he was sleeping and he found out the next morning when he went to the rink for practice. So it just shows you a little bit how, um, you know, global the game has become. Now, obviously, this was a COVID situation, but I can tell you this kid probably wouldn't have traveled to the United uh, to Montreal for the draft because he probably didn't expect to get picked in the first round anyway. So right. it, it kind of shows you how crazy things can be in hockey and in any other sport for that matter. But uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so, so Yarmo had to make some tough decisions as GMs yep. do this time of year, end of every season, sending Josh Anderson to Montreal for Max Domi at the end of the day, I understand it's a business. It's not personal, at least in most cases. I know there are some that were personal, but anyway, how difficult is it for players this time of year? Not uh, the, the ones that are the ones that I guess that, that are, that are RFAs or UFAs and, and maybe don't know what their status will be. I think it's tough. So for UFA, you know, unless you're a Pietrangelo or a Hall, it is hard because some, some of these guys, especially now with the, the hard caps, a lot of guys are probably wondering if they're going to even have a job next season because, you know, you're whatever, six days in, 
to free agency and the phone is not ringing and you have to wait and wait because what's happening is all these teams are signing their restricted uh, restricted free agent maybe they're chasing a bigger name and they're like hey we'll get back to you here in about a week when we find out how much cap cap space we have left so it's uncertain times uh that's for sure now for the big names don't have to worry because they're being courted by all the big teams Uh, there's no issue there but the the whole unrestricted free agent, you know, this is the worst year. Unless you're a big name player, this is definitely the worst year to become a UFA just because the money that you would have gotten, you know, last summer or maybe next summer is just not happening right now. So it's a tough, tough situation. I feel for the guys, but, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody will find a place to play. How would you how would you evaluate the trade, the Josh Anderson for Max Tomey? I like the trade and this is going to sound stupid because I'm going to sound like a politician. I love the trade for both teams. Uh, The Blue Jackets obviously wish they could have kept Josh Anderson. I don't think the deal he signed with Montreal would have happened here in Columbus uh, because, you know, they paid, you know, was it three, eight and a half million for seven year deal? yeah. Yeah. I don't think the Blue Jackets were ready to give him that kind of money. Uh, and the Blue Jackets desperately needed a center. Max Domi is a centerman. Uh, he wants to play center. Uh, I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, he was playing Fort Line in Montreal. He was playing in Fort Line because he wanted to play center, and Montreal is loaded up the middle. And I don't think him and Claude Julien really saw eye to eye, but the Jackets are getting a feisty guy. Uh, the fans in Columbus are going to love him. He's got the attitude of his dad with way more skills, uh, high energy, and uh, he, he seems like such a big community uh, guy. I can't wait to have him here in Columbus. And in Josh Anderson, Montreal, they get what they wanted. They want a big right winger to be able to, you know, get some, uh, create some more room for their small forwards. And that's what they got. He's a big guy. He can skate. He can score. I think last season, we have to forget about it, you know, one goal, but he only played 26 games. It was not his year. That happened to everyone, but I'm happy for Josh as well. So I think both teams really got what they wanted there. Yeah. So you, you mentioned uh, Petrangelo and Hall and, and those those big names. Um, you know, Yarmo was able to free up about $11.8 million under the cap this year, uh, this season. There are some big name free agents still out there unsigned. What is the selling point for the Blue Jackets? Selling point for the Blue Jackets. I think, uh, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, if you play against the Columbus Blue Jackets and you look at all the adversity that they've had to, you know, uh, endure this season, this past season, and how hard it is to play against that team, if you're that type of player, uh, you're going to want to come to Columbus. Uh, now, if, you know, you're looking for bright lights and, you know, the beach, you know, Alum Creek State Park does not, you know, <laughs> compare to uh, South Beach. So, <laughs> you know. I'll tell you what, though, they got some good good little uh, uh, boats going on, the little pontoon boats going down there, though. That's right. Exactly. I'm there all, I'm there all summer. So yeah, you know, South beach and Alum Creek state park don't compare, but uh, you know, I, I think <laughs> if you're looking for a, you know, a good hockey town where uh, you can, you know, definitely have some fun and you, you're willing to work hard for a coach like John Torella 
and you know you're going to make the playoffs most of the time anyway as of late uh i think columbus is this close and i'm not yeah. saying that just because i'm a fan you know you look at three of the last four stanley cup winners played against columbus in the playoffs i think if the Blue Jackets can have a more successful regular season and not have to play the first seed every single playoff, they'll get to the conference final. But right now, the problem is they're playing the best team out of the East every year because it's always in the Metro division and they play them in the first round. That's really hard. So, uh, and I think if you're a hockey player, you know how close the team is. You can see, you know, Seth Jones is still on the team. Zach Wierenski is still on the team. You get Bjorkstrand coming up. You know, you get Texier coming up. Atkinson's here. There's a lot of upside. It's just about getting over that hump. So if you want to be a contributor and somebody is like, hey, I'm willing to go in there and make a difference, I think that's the place for you. So, again, I'm going to try try not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Where do you see players like Petrangelo and Hall going? Uh, Pietrangelo, I say he'll go to Vegas. Uh, and honestly, you can't blame him. You're looking at the way Vegas have been able to perform over the last few years. Right now, they're closer to Stanley Cup than the Columbus Blue Jackets. And the other thing, too, is uh, you have to consider ice time, right? Pietrangelo is still a defenseman, but, you know, he's going to Vegas. He's going to be on that first pair here. You got Jones and Wierenski. I don't know if you want to be, you know, that guy making $9 million a year and being rele- relegated to the second pair, maybe. Uh, and obviously, there's also the lifestyle, uh, you know. I love Columbus, but if I had to pick between Vegas and I was like, you know, <laughs> if if you have a contract of, uh, I don't know, 70 million in your pocket and you, I tell you, where would you rather live, Columbus or Vegas? Let's not kid each other here. I, I could ask anyone here, even if I had Columbus tattooed on my forehead, I'll get it lasered <laughs> off and put Vegas. So, uh, <laughs> and for Taylor Hall, uh, you know, I don't know where he's going to go, but uh, I think he's going to go to a a contender like that's a little more immediate. So you're looking at teams, maybe he wants to go to a big market like Montreal, obviously Toronto, it's not going to happen. And uh, so that's going to be hard. I don't see him coming to Columbus, however. Yeah, I just don't see him coming to Columbus. But hey, maybe Yarmo will surprise us. (laughs) <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, yeah. with all that being said, what immediate needs do you see the Blue Jackets having to fill? And do you think they go through free agency or do you think they rely on the farm system to fill them? Uh, I don't think the farm system is going to fill it right now. I think, uh, you know, we need a little more offense. Uh, Max, the addition of Max Domi was great. I think we need one more winger. So maybe they go to free agency and pick up uh, – that enough or they pick up maybe Mike Hoffman uh so what I like to call second tier free agency uh kind of like what they did with Gus Nyquist last year Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think Columbus is going to try to score that big big unrestricted free agent necessarily uh because you have to be careful with those uh but yeah I would see them go get a 20 25 goal scorer is what I see coming here I don't see them go around and try to score a 40, 50 goal uh, score. So unless they make a, you know, a mega trade, you know, you could go to Buffalo and see if you can get Jack Heichel or something like that. That'd be great. But you're going to have to give some serious asset to get that in return as well. And it's all about the return. So yeah, right. uh, what they need, I think they still need more scoring to answer your question. Gotcha. Cool. 
So you've got a lot going on with the, with the, um, real estate, uh, endeavors with, uh, Fox sports, uh, everything going on. What's next for Jean-Luc Rampierre? What, what is on your plate? Ooh, what's next? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I'm uh, you know, if you asked me five years ago, what I'd be doing today, I'd tell you, I have no idea. Uh, I, I love real estate. I'm still doing it. I love hockey and now I'm in it. So I kind of like the best of both worlds. Uh, I love golf. I'm not good at it. I love golf. <laughs> so maybe I'll start taking some lessons and I'll be on an amateur tour. Who knows what's up? But, uh, you know, my son is 16 now. He just started driving, got his license last week. Uh, so I'm spending all kind of time with him as well, because we all know how fast kids grow. I don't know if you, you guys have any kids, but yeah. Uh, I yesterday actually I took yet a sandbox I built for him in the backyard when he was about four or five years old and he played in it all the way till about two years ago and yesterday I took it out of the the backyard to, to fill in with some grass and you know he was really emotional about it so <laughs> I, it kind of hit me how fast things go as I look down the driveway and his car sitting there so it's like family is really important so I want to make sure I spend plenty of time uh until he goes out to college. So I would say that's probably my number one priority. And uh, once he goes out to college, who knows what I'll do. Gotcha. Well, we, we can't thank you enough for joining us uh, tonight and, and talking with us a little bit and giving us some insight about you and your career and blue jackets. And we continually look forward to ha uh, listening to your insight uh, during the blue jackets games and, and, and such. So John Luke, thanks again for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. And, uh, Hopefully we can do this again, maybe sometime during uh, the, the next NHL season. Uh, we can do another one and just talk about 2021 season. That's right. Maybe we're talking about the Jackets being in first place and try to figure out uh, who's going to be the eighth seed. There you and go. They're going to play be nice. against, right? That'd be nice. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it, and I uh, can't wait to hear it. I'll send to my dad because of that intro. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Well, <laughs> uh, again, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And uh, take care. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. See ya. A couple of good talks today, Jay. Really good to catch back, catch up back with Mike Ruff. Uh, obviously, you and I have a bunch of uh, similar stories with Mike, you know, coming from the same, uh, same high school. But it was good to see Mike's view on his or his thoughts on how you don't need to jump around to get to the next level. You can stick where you're at. I think the story he told us about that young man uh, out of that small city out of Pennsylvania, that he, he, I think he was pretty confident that kid's gonna go somewhere pretty big. You know, a lot of things that, that Ruff talked about are good for everyone to listen to. They're good for every level of hockey. You know, whether it be, be a good player on a great team, be a great player on an average team, however you want to word it, it's just semantics really. But you have to find your route. And you need, and one thing that actually he talked about that we all actually looked and smiled at each other was playing multiple sports and how that benefits you in the long run. Right, right. Yeah, he was, I mean, you know, you don't see too many proponents of that anymore, people saying you should play multiple sports. And I'm glad that Mike said that, because that was, that was huge. We gotta get our kids, you know what? If we can get our kids climbing trees and drinking out of uh, hoses, that'd be great, right? <laughs> climbing trees? No, no, honestly, no. I mean, you know, that, that'd be great. So, 
Uh, and then we had an opportunity to talk with John Luke Rampier. It was an awesome talk. And, and John Luke, I, I tell you what, what a great talk it was, especially him going through the expansion, expansion draft with uh, Columbus. It was great. You know, and, and a lot of John Luke's career was spent in Europe. And his take on what that did for his family, he's a very family-oriented man. Hence, coming from Europe, coming back to Columbus to live, uh, coaching at, at New Albany, and then taking some time away to, to venture into other things. The fact that he's back with Columbus is a wonderful thing for, for them. It's a wonderful thing for him. Um, he brings a good insight. He brings a player's insight, but he also brings a fan insight. So he's not... Right. You know, he gets technical. However, he makes it so that the, 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 the layman can understand it. Yeah, right. right. No, and I, I think, well, first of all, I, I think I butchered the, the French part of our introduction. Benvenue. Benvenue, ben right. And it sounds like, I think we have a Benvenue last year. Well, well, I'm not going to lie you. We probably said that. Right. So um, hopefully his father doesn't get too, too upset with us. But the fact that he hasn't found a good uh, restri- restaurant to... Yeah, to where he, he wants to get his routine. That's that's pretty that's good stuff. You know. Well, Jay, we're back up north on 71. That'll do it for episode 26 of On Air. Special thanks to our guest, Stanley Cup champion Mike Rupp. And from the Columbus Blue Jackets and Blue Jackets Live, John Luke Grand Pierre. Check us out next week as we'll continue to bring you interesting people in the world of hockey. You can find out us on air podcast at www.ohiohockeydigest.com with full episodes and archives, as well as a list of future guests. You can also subscribe to On Air on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Continue to grow the, grow the game as best as you can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest Podcast.